Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. Shalom! What up? My name is Caleb Hag. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. With me, as always, my friend, my mentor, my teacher... Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? Hey, Caleb. How's it going, brother? It's going well. Yeah? I'm well, uh, I'm excited. That is good. I, I, that, amen to that. I am excited. We start class today, and Rob, once again, uh, jumps into the role of being my teacher uh, at Torah Resource Institute. I am taking his class, which is being offered again this semester, It was or not semester, this quarter. Last quarter, it was offered as well. And it is called Contemporary Judaisms. I have not even looked at the curriculum yet. I am quite excited. Do you have your books? I do have my books. I got all of them. Awesome. It's a da- they're daunting. When Rob, for all you listening out there, when Rob Van Hoff tells you it's a bit of a heavy reading load, uh, then you know you're in trouble. His reading loads are extremely heavy no matter what. That's okay. But it's all good. It's all, it's all good. It's... it's um... Part of learn, you know, one of the things learning to engage with ideas of multiple scholars is is the skill of being able to read fairly quickly to mm. to, to to sometimes skim to know what to take and what what to move on with, and that's a skill that uh, for me took a lot of practice. I had uh, in graduate school, I had teachers just you know I couldn't believe the the reading assignments. Mm-hmm. He's like, Hey, you got to just learn to, you got to learn to do it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I took your, uh, rabbinics class. And, uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit used to, uh, you know, the heavy reading loads, but yeah, I think w- this is going to be engaging, uh, because it's a, it's a fun topic. It's yeah, absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we might have a little bit of a longer show today. Um, first, let me give you our, our contact information. If you want to get hold of us, go ahead and give us Shoot us an email, radio at TorahResource.com. That's radio at TorahResource.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Caleb Hag, two G's and Hag. You can follow Rob on Twitter, Rob Van at Rob Van Hoff, two F's in Van Hoff. Man, I got to tell you, I am ticked off. And uh, we're going to have some some interesting conversation today. You know, God is so good. I, You know, you said it at the beginning. God is so good. I always think to myself, man, what in the world are we going to talk about on the Rob and Caleb show? I think that all the way up until the day that we that that we record this, this is actually pre-recorded right now. We're thinking about changing that to uh, to be uh, live so y'all can call in. But we haven't really had a good response on people saying they want to be able to call the show. So um, we pre-record this sometimes a day in advance, sometimes two days in advance, sometimes the day of. But the point is, is that it is pre-recorded and. Uh, a lot of the time, I think right up until the day that we record, what in the world are we going to talk about? Uh, you know, are people, you know, and actually I should say, I, two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago? I said that uh, I felt like we had five people listening. Well, 
uh, I can I can say with confidence now that we have more than that. We probably have about twenty five people listening. Yay, <laughs> go team! Yes, because I got I got emails from people saying, "Hey, man, there's more there's more than five people we're listening to." So, uh, for you twenty five people out there, thank you. We appreciate your uh, your listening to this show. We hope that you gain something from it. Uh, we always have fun doing it. I mean, I honestly, it's it's one of the highlights of my week at work. Uh, I, oh, I, I have to share something too. Go uh, for it. Carl and Donna from Oregon came and visited um, Heart of Messiah this oh, yeah. last Shabbat. Yeah, uh, with their beautiful little kids and uh, their visiting family. And uh, he shared with me. He says, "You know, when I get it, when I get an opportunity, I like to listen to the Robin Caleb show." And I said, "Yeah, all right." So I know <laughs> that there's another uh, listener there. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I I really do appreciate everybody uh, who who listens to us, and uh, you know, I hope that I hope that the topics are good for everyone, and that everybody's having a having a good time listening. Okay, so um, let's catch everybody up. If you haven't been listening to us, if this is the first time you're listening to us, never fear, we'll catch you up. This is the fourth week, number four, that we're talking about the same topic. It might be getting old to you, but man, there's so much that happened this last week. Uh, something got dropped on my desk, uh, actually in my email inbox, by someone who's coordinating a uh, conference that my father and Ariel Berkowitz are speaking at uh, this coming summer in uh, Pennsylvania? No, PA. Anyway, yeah, Pittsburgh. I don't know, somewhere like that. Anyway, um, they sent me a little clipping, and I did some research, and I found... A article. If you follow me on Facebook, uh, then you might have seen my uh, little explanation of what I thought of their expose on One Law Theology. But first, let's talk a little bit about uh, identity, because that's something I want to touch on. Uh, we talked last week about N.T. Wright's views, uh, Dr. N.T. Wright, uh, and his views on one law, Messianic Judaism, and actually more just to the point of uh, keeping Torah in general. I gave some thoughts on uh, how if you're going to say that God changes and God can change his scriptures and change you know, uh, the eternal word, then basically you have no reason to be able to say that someone like Joseph Smith uh, and the Book of Mormon isn't true, or even that Muhammad and the Quran is not true. If God is able to change, then that means that uh, things like words in the in the Torah that say forever or throughout all your generations, uh, if he can change those, then he can change everything, including his way of salvation and so on. Okay, so that's essentially where we were. Um, first, I want to talk about identity. Now, um, Rob... Please feel free to jump in at any point on this. I'm just going to give a little bit of a idea here and tell me what you think about it. Basically, identity, uh, ethnic identity, is usually defined by several different things. Uh, music, location, food, um, music, uh, some other things as well. Clothing is one of them. And so uh, the... One of the arguments for people who are against one law theology, and just in case you are joining us for the first time, one law theology teaches that the Torah, uh, the first five books of Moses, is applicable for Jew and Gentile today. Anyway, so if 
uh, one of the big things that people say is that uh, the Torah is an identity marker for ethnic Jews, and therefore Gentiles should not be keeping these laws. Uh, we disagree with that. But my question to that would be, what about the Jews, all the Jews, and the Jewish people who have Jewish blood, Jewish lineage in Israel, who aren't religious? Now, that's actually the majority. You might think that the majority is religious Jews in Israel. That's not the case at all. In fact, the non-religious quite outweigh the religious Jews. So it seems to me that Israel and the Jewish people within Israel today have a culture. It's a very thriving culture. They have music, uh, specific music. They have clothing that's, uh, that is very specific for Israel uh, and style within Israel. They have um, food, obviously, uh, all sorts of all these kind of things. And yet they're not religious. So when people say that Torah is an ethnic identity marker, uh, that that doesn't hold a lot of weight with me. It seems like it's an ethnic identity for God. And the reason why is because we, as Gentiles, hold to our own ethnic standards, which is, for instance, my wife is Mexican by heritage, and in keeping Taurus, she no, in no way loses that ethnic identity of being Mexican. We eat a lot of Mexican food. We just happen to eat kosher Mexican food now. We, uh, you know, my wife speaks some Spanish. We speak some Spanish in, in our home, uh, and so on and so forth. And so it's not that we've lost any of her Mexican heritage. It's that God's uh, identity marker, God's uh, you know Torah, has integrated its way into that identity. Rob, what are your thoughts? Isn't on that, that wonderful? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and and this, the the thing is similar to, and even if you look in uh, modern Orthodox, the different expressions of modern Orthodox Judaism, you'll have people from different nations of the world, different ethnic backgrounds that become Jewish, and. It, um, they will basically, you know, cashier their, you know, their mm -hmm, their culture. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll retain um, traditions that are, or traditions or food, like you were talking about cuisine is a, an important part. Mm -hmm. Or even um, um, uh, ways of uh, decorating their homes, you know, things that they find significant from uh, their ethnic heritage that's well you know and one of the reasons that this is kind of close to you know a, a personal uh argument for me is because i was at the uh ets meeting last november rob was there with me and uh we uh there's a there's always a, a very large book display and one of the book displays was uh i believe it was chosen people ministries and uh there was a gentleman there very nice guy you know uh he was jewish by heritage, and he he said to me that his wife wasn't Jewish. And then, in the same kind of conversation, he said that he didn't want a lot of Gentiles coming into his synagogue. And when I asked him why, he said because he thought that it would break down. And he said, "Now keep in mind, my wife is a Gentile." He said, "But I think it breaks down the identity marker of the Jews. Torah is for the Jews." Um, and of course, I I fought him tooth and nail on that. I don't think that's a valid argument. Torah is not for the Jews. Torah was given to the Jews to take to the nations. It is God's culture, and we integrate it into... Well, yeah, I think of Isaiah, too. You know, we sang uh, one of the classic messianics, come, let us go up, you know, come, let us go up. Oh, yeah. This last Shabbat. And it's mm -hmm. like, um, 
we had some people visit that the first thing I asked, so are you guys two house, you know, and this sort of thing. And, and I was like, I was telling them my concerns about that. And so when it came time to worship, I actually prefaced that song with the passage <laughs> from Isaiah two saying, uh, you know, all the nations will say, and he will teach us his ways, but it says the Torah will go out from Zion. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I, uh, tried to take that opportunity to point out that the scriptures promise you know, God's word, God's Torah going out to all the world. Well, you know, and the, the other question that I'd have for people who think that that, that uh, the Torah is a Jewish identity marker is then what do you do with the prophecies like in Zechariah and other places where we clearly have Gentiles uh, keeping the festivals, you know, in Zechariah they go up and, they, and anyone who doesn't go up to celebrate Sukkot is punished. Uh, you know, you have... Uh, Gentiles seeming to be celebrating the Sabbaths and the new moons and these things in Isaiah at the end of Isaiah. Uh, you have, so you definitely have these Gentiles in the end times celebrating, uh, what people are calling these Jewish ident, you know, ethnic identity markers. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And it, quite frankly, it's just not biblical. Uh, so that's, you know, I, I just, I think that it's a stretch to say that the Torah, well, I know it's a stretch to say that the Torah is an ethnic identity marker. One of the one of the principal linchpins, I guess, or the foundations for the concern among uh, the Jewish, uh, the Messianic Jewish scholars that are concerned about um, keeping Jewish identity sacred apart from Gentile and, and mixing Torah into that uh, differentiation is the emphasis on physical descent. Mm. In other words, uh, there are, are those who are in me- Messianic Judaism that want to emphasize from generation to generation physical, the, the assertion of physical descendancy from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, you get someone like me, and that's not important. To, I, I, it doesn't hurt my feelings or to to say no, I, I'm not you know in any way, shape, or form, to my knowledge, physical offspring of Jacob. Um, but yet, I am drawn to the Torah. They would say, as we see in in some of their um, publications, that that that's a wrong motivation that I have. Yep. In other words, somehow I'm mistaken because I'm not physical offspring. My desire to do the Torah and to apply the Torah and to to study the scriptures, um, if I somehow bypass a hierarchy structure of men that they endorse, whether it's rabbinic, uh, uh, like orthodox rabbis, or or their own flavor of ordination of rabbis and conversion, if I buy, if I go, or if I don't, <laughs> uh, you know, let those institutions do the thinking for me, and then, wait, hang then on, I did... become like a Protestant. I become like a person who's, quote, oh, sola scriptura, you're going to read the Bible and apply it yourself? Oh, ha, 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 ha. Hey, Silly I, you. Hey, you let... don't even know that you are, um, you are threatening. You are the source of Jewish assimilation, and it's almost like a holocaust and, of, of spiritual type, and... and she... That two, becomes the way it's portrayed. Two things on that, Rob. First of all, I don't mind being... You can call me a Protestant all you want. People can lump me in with the Protestants. I, I, I'll even call myself a Protestant. Oh, me too. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm happy about it. And I hold this... We're going to talk about Sola Scriptura a little later. But the other thing is, is that it's interesting to me. You know, if a Gentile... And I, I could name names right now. I won't. 
Well, maybe. I don't know. We'll see if I name names and if you say, okay, fine. Um, You know, some of these uh, Gentiles who are now just telling the the other Gentiles to get out of their synagogues, you know, they were Gentiles and they all of a sudden go through a man-made, a man-made ritual. And if you go through the man-made ritual, guess what? Now we accept you as a Jew. Now you should be keeping Torah, right? Even though you can't find in the Bible anywhere uh, that it teaches a conversion process, but if you're if you don't go through the man-made thing that we made up, then you don't need to keep God's law That's because it's oral. Oh my gosh, you, it's you so ridiculous! Oh. It's because it's it's oral tradition. It's not you're not going to find it in the Scripture, Mister Protestant. Well, you know the other thing. The, there are other groups that teach a little bit different on that. People like FFOZ teach that if you're a Gentile, you can keep the you can keep the law, but you need to do certain. You need to do the things that are identity markers for Jews. You need to do those in private. Tuck your tzitzit in unless you're in in your own home, because that's an, a Jewish identity marker. Okay, let's let's move on. I'm I'm already getting I'm already getting heated here, and that's okay. Um, so the other thing I want to mention before we go on for our 25 listeners out there, I got to get I, I'm going to come up with a good name for our 25 listeners. Um, like the 25th man. <laughs> yes, or, uh, Rob and I are from Washington State, and uh, if you don't know, we are now home to the latest Super Bowl champions. <sighs> Yeah, insert crowd noise here. Woo! Yes, and um, so the twelfth man is the crowd that makes all the noise. I'm sure everyone knows that. Maybe we'll call you guys the twenty five, the twenty fifth man, because um, because we believe there's twenty five people listening to us. Okay, um, so there is going to be. Uh, let's see here. Actually, it started two days ago on April first is when our full access pass kicked into gear. If you don't have a full access pass yet, you can get a year-long subscription for $60. If you don't want to pay the $60, um, just give me a, shoot me an email, give me a call here, whatever. We'll figure it out for you. Uh, you know, Maybe we'll play a game on, on air with you. Or maybe uh, we'll figure out some other thing that you can do to uh, earn yourself a $60 yearly membership, and then you can download all these, all these audios for free. Okay, so let's move on. This... Is unbelievable. These are the things that come across my desk, people. Um, I got to, you know, first of all, I got to say, um, I don't know if anybody else knows this, except for the people at our congregation, Beit Hillel, here in Tacoma, which is not the congregation that Rob Van Hoff goes to. He uh, is over in Spokane, Washington. And through the powers of internet, we are able to do this show from our own locations. Um, so. Uh, I have been, for the past couple of weeks, I had given the children's handout. Each week at our Shabbat service, we have a children's handout, and, and there's a top page for the parents to be able to read and, and go over with their kids, and then there's uh, coloring and everything for the kids. So I was uh, tasked, tasked to give the front page, to put together the front page. I actually did it on some of the solas, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, and so on and so forth. And it is unreal to me. I'm, we're going to read some of uh, what some of this uh, article that I found, and it is unbelievable to me what I have uncovered within the Messianic movement, which is that the Messianic movement, m- much of the Messianic, not all, but much of the Messianic movement at large, are throwing sola scriptura out. Don't believe in sola scriptura. Believe it or not, I am not joking. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but let's get to. This article that we found first, that I found first. Okay, this is 
I had actually never heard of this group, and I don't know how big this group is. I know that they're associated in some way with the UMJC and the MJAA. They're called the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues, IAMCS. And I found a what is called a position paper uh, by their steering committee. Um and do we want to figure out who their steering committee is, Rob? Well, maybe I'll look for that. Anyway, so the... Uh, the we can figure that out later. I, I encourage our listeners to download and read that Yeah, so you art, can, uh, you when can, they get a chance. Here's how you can get to it. Basically, go to uh, I-A-M-C-S. That's a, I know. It's, it's a weird one. Um, if you type that into a Google search, they'll be the first one. Pull that up and go to, uh, let's see here. I got to think about this. I believe it's about us. And then under about us, there's all these other different little, uh, all these little buttons that you can press. And I think it's position papers. That's how you get to it. It's the second one down. It's called one law, two sticks. Now, what is the first thing that people notice about the name? Anyone? Rob, <laughs> you're the only other one on with me. Well, it, it, to me, it conflates one law with two houses. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Which is what it does throughout. Now, uh, now let's, let's be a little bit clear here. They don't start get, digging in on the Messianics until page 54. Uh, before that, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, a lot of this, on Facebook, I said that this is anti-Torah propaganda. That's exactly what I believe it is. This is propaganda, in my opinion. Uh, you might disagree with that, um, but but that's exactly what it is. It is anti-Torah propaganda, and basically what they do is they set they set up all these different groups that they disagree with. So they look at the two house movement. They say these guys are out to lunch. Okay, it's almost it's a heresy. It's a heresyology is what they call it in the early church. You'd get like a writer that tells you all these different groups uh, that are bad and why they're bad. Um, well, and and, and, the, and they name a lot of names. They do. They name a lot of names. A lot and they, of people, and sometimes in bold print. Oh yeah, and then and then right before, so my my father Tim Hag, his name is all is all over the end of this thing. Start on page fifty four, and you'll you, that's where his name begins. Um, so they talk about the Jewish roots movement, and then um, right before they talk about, well, actually they talk about the Jewish roots movement right before for us. Uh, that is one law when I say us, um, but right before that they talk about Michael Rood. I don't know if you know who Michael Rood is or not. If you don't, feel completely blessed. Uh, that is a blessing if you've never heard of Michael Rood. Do not go looking for him. I I cannot tell people enough to steer clear of Michael Rood. Uh, he is not a scholar. He's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. Stay away. Anyway, so that, these are the kind of people that they're lumping one law theology in with. As well as like uh, people who are like an serious anti-Semitic. Uh, Semitic white supremacist groups are even mentioned in somehow like having some sort of connection with one law. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, this whole thing is, is completely ridiculous. I, I mentioned this on Facebook. A couple of my, uh, a couple of my buddies uh, saw my post, read it and basically said, this is unbelievable uh, that the, the head of the, I think the chairman of, of this group the IAMCS is, uh, and they call him Rabbi Frank Lowinger. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. And, you know, honestly, who knows? The guy might have at some time uh, gotten rabbinic ordination. I doubt it. 
Uh, and then you have David Chernoff is on the, on the board on this group as well. Um, Charlie Kluge, K-L-U-G-E, uh, Eric Lakatos, and Joel Lieberman, and David Schneider. Schneier, I'm sorry, Schneier. So these guys, there's, and then there's two other guys, uh, three other guys, Michael Wagent, Michael Stepkoff, and Robert Salmon. So these are the guys who put this whole thing together. They don't, they don't name a specific name who wrote this. It seems like they got together, decided that this is what they were going to write. I'm going to read just a couple of things out of this. Uh, yeah, hold on to your seats. Here you go. In in any case, this is a quote from this uh, paper. I'm on page 55. In any case, to, to the credit of FFOZ, and they have gone through the, uh, how FFOZs uh, used to hold to one law theology uh, and have since rejected that. They say, in any case, to the credit of FFOZ, after initial promoting the, and publishing one law teachings on a wide-scale leadership at FFOZ, had a change of heart. This change came in 2009 after witnessing the fruit of one law teaching. Consequently, under Boaz Michael's leadership, FFOZ eventually rejected and recanted one law theology. Uh, and then, so they say it should be, it should also be mentioned that Boaz Michael and FFOZ as a ministry as of the date of this writing have formally reconciled and reestablished a relationship of good standing within the Messianic Jew- Jewish movement, including with both the MJAA and the UMJC. So right there, it kind of tells me that the IAMCS is uh, in good standing and, and likes the MJAA and the UMJC. Any any thoughts on that before I go on, Rob? No, I think that uh, that's helpful that you just gave a little bit of background about how they do. They they talk about first fruits of Zion's turnaround mm-hmm. and subsequent then distancing from the teachings of yes, Mr. Tim Hague. That's, anyway, so then uh, they have three full pages here. I'm not going to read all of it. Um, so basically they talk about uh, one law, uh, and FFOZ kind of moving away from that. Uh, and then, so this whole section is called FFOZ and Tim Hegg. If you've already read this, bear with us. Uh, we'll talk about this in a few seconds. Okay. So I'm going to keep going here. Tim Hegg's teaching so strongly stressed the need for Gentiles to observe the Torah that it often sounded as if Hegg actually equates Torah observance to the gospel itself. Uh, do you want to say anything? Should we stop there? No, keep, keep, uh, okay. go ahead, keep going. To, to give an example of Hegg's teaching, Hegg argues based on a comparison of two scriptures, Matthew 5.20 and Matthew 28.19-20, that the purpose of the Great Commission was to bring Torah to the Gentiles. The two scriptures Hegg references, and then they give those two scriptures. scriptures. I'm not going to read them. You can go ahead and do that yourself if you'd like. Putting those two scriptures together, Hegg arrives at the following analysis. This is a quote from my father's uh, writing entitled uh, The Divine Invitation the- uh, Theory of Response. Uh, my father says, quote, The phrase, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, makes it clear that Yeshua's teaching in Matthew five seventeen through 20 was a form uh, to form a core aspect of the curriculum the disciples were commissioned to teach the Gentiles. I would agree with that. Um, thus, and this is they ended the quote, Thus, according to Hegg, the Great Commission is to bring the world into Torah observance. Amen. This is the major error of the one law teaching. Now, this is, the, this is what I want to highlight here. They preach a gospel of obedience to law, the very antithesis of the true gospel. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and here's, (laughs) 
never in the 55 or 60 pages of this do they quote anything about the promise of the new covenant of Torah being written on the heart no. of of that uh, how the God giving us his spirit is is an inspiration for us to desire to love him with all our heart all our soul our strength to love our nature our neighbor as ourselves and to seek him first in all things and to walk in his ways mm-hmm. to walk in his mm-hmm. commandments that, that that they're saying that that's a bad thing to teach people Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that is in fact you, we we don't separate Torah for the Torah of the Messiah is what we are to teach, and and but it's not an outward uh, imposition. It's 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 guiding someone in the scriptures as they mature in their new birth. What God's doing in them, and I can't the, I, I, regenerated I, life through the Holy Spirit. I can't believe that they say they preach a gospel of obedience to law, the very antithesis of the true gospel. Are you saying that the gospel says we shouldn't follow God's commands? I, I, it's strange that they said that. Yeah, you know it, that, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, that's not what the that's not what the gospel writers teach at all, and it's not. It's definitely not what Paul teaches. I mean, Paul is constantly, you know, what about what do they do with Romans at the end well, of here's Romans? Well, here's another thing. Earlier in the in the paper, and I don't remember, they talk about how there's no, the Torah was a unique nation building document, but did not give, it did not legislate anything that was new in terms of morality. Um, and so, and I, I just found it. It's on page four at the very top. God did not appear to Israel at Sinai to present a moral code. It says, uh, uh, nor is the moral aspect of it, that is the Torah, unique in any way. And and this is, I, I think about Paul says, how many times, by the Torah is the knowledge of sin. Mm. Oh, so, and, but, oh, and they're defining it. They're saying the law is the morality you can get anywhere in the world. There's universal morality. And what makes the Torah special is what makes Israel special from all the nations of the earth, and it's not morality. Okay, it's so it's just strange that they say this. Okay, hang on just a sec. So two things on that. First of all, uh does are they just trying to say that the Torah was uh from the beginning of time? In other mm-hmm. words, God's law was from the beginning of time. We know this because, you know, the people in Noah's day were corrupt. How were they corrupt if there was no Torah? Is that what they're saying or are they are they saying something am I missing it? They are saying that yeah, basically they're saying the moral morality came from the beginning. Okay. But the Torah given at Mount Sinai is not was not given as a moral code. And what I'm hearing them say then is, is something contrary to Paul saying by the Torah is the knowledge of sin. Hmm. Hmm. In other words, they don't use the Torah to define sin in, in any of this document. You know, actually, Rob, that what you just said kind of reminds me of something that I read just the other day. You know, for I, I had somebody call recently, and they asked me about uh, my position on Calvinism and Arminianism, and I, I talked a little bit, a bit about the show that we did about that and then the book that we were referencing. Another a great one for anyone who uh, believes in the sovereignty of God but also, you know, is trying to reconcile how some of that works. There's a standard book that everyone, in my opinion, should read. It's called Evangelism in the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. He's, he just makes some excellent points. Anyway, so what you were just saying about, uh, or what they wrote, and what you were saying about their view of the, of the Torah not being a moral compass, uh, kind of reminded me of this. 
Uh, this is a little bit long, but I'm going to read it anyway. What we have to grasp then is that the bad conscience of the natural man is not at all the same thing as conviction of sin. It does not therefore distressed, uh, distressed about this weakness, the, his weaknesses and the wrong things he has done. It is not conviction of sin just to feel miserable about yourself and your failures and your inadequacies to meet life's demands. Nor would it be saving faith if a man in that condition called uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ just to soothe him and cheer him up and make him feel confident again. Nor should we be preaching the gospel if all that we did was to present Christ in terms of a man's felt wants. Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Do you want peace of mind? Do you feel that you have failed? Are you fed up with yourself? Do you want a friend? Then come to Christ. He will meet your every need. As if the Lord, Jesus Christ, were to be were to be thought of as a fairy godmother or a super psychiatrist. No, we have to go deeper than this. To preach sin means not to make capital out of uh, people's felt frailties, but to measure their lives by the holy law of God. So I, I, I agree with J.I. Packer. You know, we measure our lives by the holy law of God. And um, to say that the Torah is not... That holy law, you know, doesn't do that. I, I think people should have a problem with that. What are your thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah, yeah, th- this document. I encourage people to read this document, uh, this one law, two sticks document, because it's important that they understand or try to understand where this organization is coming from on their own terms. Um, well, and not only that, but this organization essentially, uh, with uh, with the umbrella of the UMJC and the MJAA, um, you know, these, this is the mass of what is being called Messianic Judaism. Uh, and this is a fresh document, too. I think it's a two, uh, January, January 15, 2014. That's right. Uh, okay, hang on. I want to read a little bit more of this document here. We're going to come down here uh, to page 57 now. One of the key claims that one law teachers often make is that, and this is once again from the one law two six. Uh, One of the key claims that one law teachers often make is that Torah observance will bring about the final unity between Jew and Gentile. But in fact, what happens is precisely the opposite. The fruit of one law teaching, as uh, as mass promoted by FOZ and Tim Hegg, was further described by Boaz Michael and Thomas Lancaster as follows. Quote, the result is a state of anarchy disguised under the name of law. Congregations split over calendar arguments. People are embittered toward one another. Close friends are separated. Communities shrink. There are no other Messianic believers in the in the area with whom they can sustain a relationship. The program is not working. They reject Judaism and Jewish tradition, and they reject Christianity and Christian tradition. As romantic as such a hyper-Protestant sola scriptura purity may sound, it breeds arrogance and is unsustainable. Oh, my word. Okay, so I want to unpack this just a little bit. First, now, whose quote was that again? That was Boaz Michael and Thomas Lancaster. Oh, okay. And that was from um, One Law and the Messianic Gentile, Summer 2009, page 52. Um, yeah, do, you, uh, do, you, uh, do you know anybody who's condemning of, of Christian brothers and sisters uh, <laughs> because they don't observe the, the Sabbath, for example? I... I I know of some some out there, but it's very very, yeah, I know, but very it's, few in my experience. It's a very very fringe minority, like tiny 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 
Well, you know, here's the other thing is that I've been looking at, like I said earlier, I've been looking into Sola Scriptura and what the Messianic movement at large is basically saying about this. This is mind-boggling to me. Let's take this one one step at a time. The result, I'm going to read parts of this again. Um, uh, Congregations split over calendar arguments. Congregations split Boaz. Uh, Daniel, are you guys serious on this what you're telling people to do is take gentiles and take them out of your out of your synagogues and send them back to the church how is that not splitting the communities am i the only one who thinks this is totally and absolutely ridiculous you're telling people that they should split their synagogues because you don't want gentiles in with the jews but then you're you're accusing the one law messianics of 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 being divisive how does this work out what are your thoughts on this, Rob? Well, we don't need to look to any form of messianic or Torah communities, you know, or like their Hebraic roots groups to to find confusion and splits. I mean, just at, uh, locally here in Spokane, I know of uh, different mainstream Christian denominations, and some are the non-denominational groups that have gone through splits, and there's all sorts of uh, dissension between former uh, pastoral colleagues, and I mean that. So that kind of thing happens um, in just general evangelical Christianity in America. So to attribute to see that in the, uh, you know the Messianic world or Hebraic roots or whatever they want to call it, Messianic Jewish world, uh, and then to attribute that because they're trying to to walk in the ways of the Torah, I, I don't think that's uh, good logic. Okay, I'm gonna. We're gonna take a break real quick, and we're gonna do so uh, right now because I'm gonna calm down a little bit. This frustrates me to no end. If you want to talk to us about us, if you have your own opinion about this, if this frustrates you, you let us know. Send me an email, radio at torresource.com. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. That's right. You are listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. And we're happy. We're happy that we're doing this show. We're happy that we're here and that you're listening to us, all 25 of you. And, uh, yeah, this might be a frustrating subject, but it's something that needs to be talked about. Not only that, but it's something that uh, I think everyone should be aware of and everyone should be uh, happy to talk about. That's my own personal opinion. But for now, let's uh, do something else that's happy. Last week I talked about Keter, a Hebrew-English prayer book for the smartphone. This week I want to look at an app that can be used for personal prayer. Prayer Notes is produced by Choo Choo Train Productions and can be found in the App Store by typing Prayer Notes, two words, into the search bar. This app comes in two versions, a free version and a pro version that costs $1.99. The free version is a basic app in which you can make categories, add prayer requests, delete requests, or mark requests as answered. You're also able to set prayer reminders where your phone or tablet will send you a reminder to pray. The free version does display ads at the bottom of your screen, but after a few times using the app, you don't even notice they're there. However, if you don't want them there, you can upgrade to the paid version. 
The only other benefit to purchasing the paid app is that you are able to export and email full prayer lists. While this might be an attractive feature for some, it doesn't seem worth the high price of $1.99, which is quite expensive for an app these days. This app is extremely simplistic, but it does exactly what I want it to do. It keeps prayer requests in a neat and organized place and allows me to have direction in my personal prayers. I recommend the free version unless getting rid of the small ads at the bottom of the screen is worth $2. The free version is just that, free, and takes up 7.5 megabytes. Four out of five stars for prayer notes. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I like that one. It's so simple. It, 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 it just is. I didn't know that existed. I usually, you know, you know, there's times you say, you know, I want to remember you in my prayers. Well, I'll, I just defaulted to using my calendar to trigger me. I'll say, okay, you know, pop ahead to, to the right time. And so my phone will blink that up. But I'm glad they created an app. I wasn't aware of that. You know, it's, I want, originally I was looking for something where I could just make lists, you know, and you can do that in notes, but it's not the same. And the nice thing about prayer notes is, I, I mean, I actually get it out every single morning in, during my devotions. And, you know, I have different categories. So I have things like, uh, you know, Beit Hillel, the shul that we attend. And, uh, you know, so then there's people and their needs and that kind of stuff. Then I have, like, requests, things that people have actually asked me to pray for uh, through, you know, people that know me through Torah Resource or whatever. And I, so I have all these different categories. And I'll just go th- through a specific category each morning. I like it. That's cool. It's a good good app. Okay, let's get back to it. I am upset. <laughs> I'm upset. Put your upset game back uh, on. Yes, here. I yes, I need to get fired up again. I'm fired up because uh, we're still talking about this this thing that the uh, the one law two sticks. Uh, it is absolute anti tour propaganda, in my opinion. Okay, so let's keep going. This is this is actually not. This is a direct quote. From uh, Boaz Michael and uh, Daniel Lancaster uh, with F of OZ. This is what we've been looking at. Now, we're not going to spend all of the time just with this quote. But I I want people to understand, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this this quote here. uh, Now, actually, maybe I'm jumping ahead too, too much. Okay. Uh, close friends are separated, blah, 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 blah. There are no other Messianic believers in their area. This is a problem. I will admit that there are no other Messianics within, uh, you know, within a lot of people's, uh, driving distance and whatnot. Ladies and gentlemen, what can I say? The power of the, uh, home Bible study is a great thing. Get your family together, get your friends together. Even if your friends don't agree with you 100%, uh, it's important to get together and have that support system. I truly believe that, you know, even if, even if, uh, someone isn't, uh, keeping the Sabbath, you know, if they're a believer in, in, uh, Yeshua and they believe, uh, the basic tenets that you do, Hey, have a Bible study. Uh, I, I think that that's important. So, but I don't think that you have to necessarily agree wholeheartedly on, on, uh, you know, every theological issue to be able to be a, a congregation or be part of a community. Okay. Uh, let's move on to this. They reject Judaism and Jewish tradition. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. We reject Jewish tradition. If we believe it goes contrary to scripture. That's my opinion. Well, I mean, would you agree with that, Rob? Yeah. Well, I, I want to clarify, you know, I, one of my little quibbles here with uh, when we talk about religions is that we have uh, these categories that aren't helpful when we start getting really specific. You know, 
Judaism isn't specific enough. Christianity isn't specific enough. Mm, mm-hmm. So these general statements, um, like we just like you just read, are problematic for me on that level. Absolutely, I'm with uh, you on that. Because of course, you you, you go to one Jewish community, they're going to tell you Judaism is something. You go to another Jewish community, they're going to tell you Judaism is something different. And who's right? Well, they are, you know communities define it as they enact it, as they live it out. They uh, create what it is, you know, and that and so that's. My little pet peeve, and you'll, sometimes I probably play that card too much. But. No, I th- no, I don't. I don't think so. I think you're right. I, I think you're right but on what track. I, what I hear them saying is something parallel to what uh, I believe it was um, Doctor David Rudolph that you shared on the Messianic Gentiles website is that they bypass rabbinic. Let me see. Uh, I don't remember. Somehow, like uh, without reference to rabbinic authority or something like that. The idea is that we're trying to. The one lot of people are trying to understand and do God's commandments without even asking the rabbis about it. I know? have my rabbinic authority. It's called the Apostolic Scriptures. And his name is Yeshua. His name is Yeshua. <laughs> and honestly, you know, uh, one of his disciples uh, made some great commentaries on the things he said, and that guy's name was Paul. And I enjoy his writings, too, and I find them to be, you know, God-breathed. Um, I don't understand what the problem with that is. So the idea is, and, and I, I believe that we are given permission and grace to challenge traditions. You know, I mean, that's what Yeshua does. Paul does it. You know, the traditions of men um, was something evidently that the Pharisees, that was called like the leaven of the Pharisees at at one point, um, is challenged by Yeshua, is challenged by Paul. And I think we, it's okay for us to to question tradition. Now, if you grow up in in an Orthodox uh, community, you don't have that kind of permission. You're never get granted that kind of permission slip. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you know, I mean, you're either you either toe the party halakhic line, or you're out of the, or you're out. Yeah. Um, well, so. you know. Okay, so so let's keep going here. Uh, they reject Judaism and Jewish tradition, and they reject Christianity and Christian tradition. This is a telling statement, but it needs to be coupled with the next statement. So keep in mind, uh, first of all, we don't reject, uh, you know, now I know that I am not a uh, the head spokesman for one law messianic th- theology. Uh, I don't claim that. So you might be a part of what you consider one law and uh, say that I'm wrong in certain things. Fair enough. Rob and I are not the, uh, you, you know, we're not the poster childs here for one law theology. But. Me personally, I do not reject Christianity. I've been doing work uh, recently. I've been uh, doing some research. I've been going to a lot of different churches recently, and uh, I've all different denominations. I got to say that I've enjoyed a lot of it. You know, there I've noticed that there are some things that the Messianic uh, communities, a lot of the time, they put emphasis on so much on some things that they neglect other things, and I think that the church absolutely does that as well. But there's somewhat of a balancing out there. I'm not. Well, I think you know, Caleb. I think that um, if you interviewed any of these people that we're reading here, uh, that pre- that proclaim to practice a messianic Judaism, I believe there's going to be things that from uh, quote unquote Christianity that they will reject. Oh, absolutely. And I believe there are things within quote unquote Judaism that they also reject. Yeah, of course. So, in other words, <laughs> why, how is this statement unique? If in fact. Uh, Oh, I know I could find things within orthodoxy that they would reject. Sure, absolutely. Um, so it's almost like a straw man. 
uh, yeah, type of, course. of argument. Of course. Okay, so so I want to I want to uh, keep fresh in our listeners' mind this statement and Christian tradition. They reject Christianity and Christian tradition. Okay. Now, with that in mind, listen to this next statement. As romantic as such a hyper-Protestant sola scriptura purity may sound. It breeds arrogance and unsustainability. Um, so Christian tradition coupled with hyper-Protestant and sola scriptura. I'm going to move now to something that was just published on the FFOZ website. Uh, actually, it wasn't the website. It was in their Messiah Journal uh, number 111. And if this doesn't surprise people, if this doesn't shock people, I don't know what will. This is a quote from their uh, article on Sola Scriptura. Quote, The Catholic belief has striking parallels with the belief in an inspired oral tradition held by many Orthodox Jews. There were oral traditions which were not initially written down. These traditions were transmitted accurately. The traditions are, are authoritative. And the traditions have divine sanction. Protestants, though, reject both Jewish and Catholic schools of tradition both of which, of course, seriously contradict one another in favor of the doctrine of sola scriptura. I, I don't. Yeah. So, so what that means is the oral tradition. There's no such thing as an oral tradition apart from its brokers. What I mean by brokers are the people that are out peddling it. You can't have an oral tradition that doesn't have its salesman. And so, the salesman. That what I'm hearing in that is that when you say there's a divinely sanctioned oral tradition in Judaism, that means there's rabbis out there peddling the oral tradition that they are the authorities of. They're the ones that transmit it because you can't get it in a book. Yeah, but they're but, but and the same then then the same thing with with Catholic. And I'm going to say that Catholicism has an authentic, divinely sanctioned oral tradition. That means I'm also giving a thumbs up to its peddlers, which are. Uh, you know the, the hierarchy of the Catholic uh, okay, you know, cardinals, etc. That are the uh, embodiments of that oral. That I know that in his new book, uh, Boaz Michael, it's called um, Tent of uh, David. Tent of David. Yeah. Something about healing path for the Messianic Gentile. Um, First fruits of Zion. Very, very well made book. Very handsome little book. Uh, but he he makes a similar point about. A way to con- a way that a messianic Gentile can connect with Catholic brothers and sisters is by sharing the fact that Judaism has an ancient authoritative uh, oral tradition, just like the Catholic Church has, and that's a point of uh, connection that the Catholics will respect. This is blowing my mind. It really is. Honestly, I read this this morning. I couldn't believe it. And and honestly, maybe okay. Maybe I'm not smart enough to get the to get the implication here. Maybe FFOZ is saying something else in this article. Maybe Boaz Michael is not saying uh, you know in his book Tent of David. Maybe this is maybe I'm taking it wrong. But what it sure sounds like to me is that they're saying that the Catholic Church has authority over the Gentiles and the Jews have the authority over the the Jewish people. And, yes, and that that the oral tradition. So is. Is, well, you know, there, there's been a lot of uh, these reparations, post-Holocaust reparations between the Catholic Church, you know, repenting uh, about anti-Judaism within church history, representing uh, the Catholic Church as a whole, um, relating with Orthodox rabbis. And so there's, there's a friendship there between high-ranking 
uh, Orthodox rabbis from Israel and elsewhere with the Vatican. And so it's, the, the line is very much, we respect one another. You know, a very telling uh, work is that of the recent pope who's no longer pope, uh, Ratzinger. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book on Jesus. And he interacts with uh, Jacob Neusner, etc., uh, who is who is uh, a rabbi who's ordained conservative, but I think I think uh, Neusner, like just a couple years ago, went back to reform. But that's a, a another issue. But the point is that there's this uh, dialogue between high-ranking Catholic uh, clergy and high-ranking Orthodox Jewish uh, rabbis that are a mutually uh, uh, affirming type of camaraderie. In other words, it's like, okay, you be good Christians, uh, and, you know, you keep your law. We're not going to tell you to change your religion at all. And then you, we expect the same for you. You don't tell us to change our religion. You don't tell us we need to accept Jesus. And so what happens then is you have the line of, we're not going to tell Jews that they have to believe in Jesus anymore because God has a special place for them. Now, I don't know that that is... I, I'm not going to claim to represent the viewpoint of you know organizations like FFOZ or UMJC or uh, you know because or the IAMCS because it seems like from this uh, one law two sticks paper that they do they they are wanting to witness to other Jews about Yeshua with the gospel. I I didn't see anything in the article that stuck out like they were saying that uh, Jews don't need Yeshua. Now, I, I didn't look specifically for that. Did you get a sense of, of that, Caleb? No, I, I didn't. Um, if you're a Christian who's listening to this and you're not in the Messianic Judaism, I know how you're feeling because I'm feeling the same way. If you are a Messianic who came out of the, uh, who came out of the Christian church, uh, evangelical Christian church, this should be like a kick to the stomach to you. Uh, it, this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the idea of giving up on uh, Sola Scriptura or the... And I need to read this whole article by FOZ. That's not what I'm saying. But if the Messianic mu- movement at large as a whole is trying to get rid of Sola Scriptura, uh, this is a heretical doctrine if that is actually what's being taught. It is. It's heresy. Uh, and not necessarily that all the people who would say that are heretics but rather that the doctrine itself is a heretical doctrine. It, that is simply not true. It's not, and it's not scriptural. And honestly, it's vexing to me, and it should be vexing to you. And honestly, I see this as a call. I do. I see this as a call for us as uh, One Law Messianics to rise up and say, you know what, this is not what we believe, and uh, this is, you know, if this is what Messianic Judaism is teaching as a whole, fine, go be Messianic Jews. We'll call ourselves something else. But that is not what we believe, and, and, and we rest on the Scriptures, and we believe in Sola Scriptura. I want to go to the conclusion of this paper because we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, and obviously, this frustrates me. I'm actually thinking about writing something specifically on Sola Scriptura because I think that, they, that the whole idea of what Sola Scriptura is has been missed by many Messianics today. Uh, and it's a sad thing. It really is. You should know your church history because church history actually has to do with the Messianic uh, communities today and has to do with the keeping of the gospel up until this point and sharing the gospel with people around us. Okay, let's go to the conclusion here. This is the last page. 
of this paper, One Law, Two Sticks. This is page 59. Conclusion, Messianic Judaism has a unique calling of God as witnesses to the Jewish people, and the Torah uh, occupies an important place among us. While we recognize there are many doctrinal errors made historically by the church in terms of its views on Israel and the Torah, we do not believe that the Gentile church is called to live by the same Jewish expression of faith as we are. Our hope is that the Gentile church, that's a telling word right there, that our hope is that the Gentile church and the Gentile believers everywhere will see their calling to bless Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and help Messianic Jews to reach the Jewish people with the good news. Thankfully, this is already happening to some extent. The power of the one new man is not in our relationship to the law, and not in our observance of ordinances or statutes, but rather in the fellowship that we enjoy as both Jew and Gentile, cleansed by the blood of Messiah, and immersed by one spirit into the same body. But according according to them, the same broken body. Because you want the Jews over there and you want the Gentiles over there. So it's not a unified body. It's a a broken body. Anyway, back to their statement. Together, we are the seed of Abraham by faith in one God and joint heirs of a kingdom that will never fade. Joint heirs of a kingdom that will never fade. But you want part of the kingdom over there and part of the kingdom over here. This does not make any sense to me. I don't understand how in, you know, they're talking out of two sides of their mouth. They don't want the Gentiles in their communities. They don't want the Gentiles keeping the Torah, but we're all one body. How does that work? Rob, what are your thoughts on this? Well, they do. uh, There are a couple places in the paper that people will find if they read where they do say, well, we are welcoming, you know, in our synagogues, if, if Gentiles who are properly humbled, in other words, those that aren't going to come and try to bring their own agenda. Or that, are, done, or that are going to try to do things that are, are Jewish, like right, keep kosher, right. right? They can come in and, and uh, participate. They can observe, but they can't participate, is right. what or, I'm or really I mean, getting. Yeah, they can come kind of they're, they're around the edges. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, the, I, I like to find places of connection. I like to find unity, the fact that, you know, even the people that wrote this, I, they're our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um I I want to affirm that, um, but at the same time, I'm troubled that it seems like the way they're describing Torah throughout is not that Torah defines what sin is and that Torah is commandment, but rather like a cultural expression. This is my badge of Judaism. Like at the very end there, uh, uh, towards that last section you're reading, there was something about... Uh, how the Torah plays a role in their witness to other Jews about Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's almost like it reminds me of, of the, you know, I've never known anybody personally that I know of to take this, but I've, I've read and I've heard of institutions that like uh, evangelize Jews and they'll like do t- things of the Torah, not, you know, it's, it's as a tool yeah, not get, as a command, but as a tool, as an evangelical yeah, it's like tool. A tool yeah, to somehow manipulate tool. or give an impression to another person. And what scares me about what you just read there at the end is that it seems that Torah almost functions more as just as simply a way to connect with other Jews in terms of getting the gospel to them, and that that's what it's for. Um, did you get that kind of sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that the thing that 
Yeah, this whole, they don't talk about sin. They don't. They don't quote Paul saying, "By the Torah is the knowledge of sin." No, it, um, in, in, to be honest with you, it really this whole the whole thing, all fifty four pages, fifty nine pages, uh, basically screamed to me that the you know what they're saying is is that the Torah is an identity marker. This is our badge of Judaism. If you're not a Jew, take the badge off. This is a problem, people. This should bother you. If it doesn't bother you. You need to do a little bit more studying, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I don't know. I feel I feel led to to do something like to have people write letters to someone or to you know plaster their Facebook wall with uh, you know saying no, this isn't you know. And maybe we can think of something like that. I don't want to do anything rash or or uh, you know. But it just seems to me like this is this needs to people need to stand up and say no, this is wrong. We don't agree with this. And I don't know how we're we're supposed to do that. May the Lord lead us to do that. Um, but you know, first off, I would encourage people to download and and read the article themselves. I, I totally agree with you. I, I absolutely agree with you. And you know what? Maybe maybe the way that we should try to combat this is to is to unite. Um, you know, download the article and read it. Send your thoughts to Rob and me. Let's, yeah, do. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we want to react to this. Uh, because you know, the 25 people that listen to this show and us we're, you know, we might not be able to make a big impact, but we need to do something. We need to stand up and say, this is not who we are. This is not what messianic Judaism is to us. And we have a different idea of it. Also, you know what? Uh, I am fully, uh, accepting, you know, if you want to lump me in with the Christians and that's totally fine. But I am not going to reject Sola Scriptura. It is a foundational doctrine in my book, and uh, I, I think I honestly think that a lot of the uh, talking against Sola Scriptura that I hear kind of in this article and and in other little pockets of Messianic Judaism around, uh, I think it comes from a lack of understanding what the actual doctrine of Sola Scriptura is. In fact, even in the uh, the article that I began, I didn't finish the whole thing, so I don't want to down FFOZ too much on their article on, on Sola Scriptura because I haven't read the whole thing, so I need to do that. But uh, I noticed that his that the the author's reference, the first reference when he talks about what Sola Scriptura is, is not from any of the Reformers themselves. In fact, it's from someone who rejects Sola Scriptura. So, and so when I was reading it, I thought, that's not what Sola Scriptura is. And so I looked at his reference. Sure enough, it's not from a Reformer at all. Anyway, uh, so I think that there is a lack of education when it comes to the uh, understanding of what Sola Scriptura is and what these things are. Anyway, let's unite together. Let's show them that we can be united in in the Messiah uh, in one law. Uh, Let us know what you think we should do to try to combat this teaching uh, from these Messianics and their statement. Rob, I've had fun. Absolutely. I think that next week we're going to talk about something different. Uh, we've talked about possibly bringing up the subject of circumcision. You know, we could also make a whole show out of the idea of what Sola Scriptura is. So, uh, it is the first month of our Jewish calendar, and Passover is quickly approaching us. We do hope that you're preparing for that. And if you have any questions, please let us know. Radio at TorahResource.com. Well, the one thing that I can say about all this is that uh, we're passionate about this because we truly want to serve our great God, and King Yeshua, the Messiah.